Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Thank you for Welcome to Small Business Digest on Blog Talk Radio. Now entering its fifth year, this show is hosted by Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each week he brings you advice and information from experts and small business leaders like yourself. Each show is designed to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas from authors, experts, and small business leaders, just like most of the individuals who make up our audience. Whenever possible, Small Business Digest tests the products and services featured on the show to ensure they are of a quality to help listeners grow their small business. Guests do not pay to appear, but are chosen for their ability to provide ideas and suggestions to improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like what you hear, tell others about the program. If you have a question or suggestion, email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Should you want to join us on this program during our live hour each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, dial 646-929-2337. That's editor at is-incorp.com or 646-929-2337. We're only as good as our guest and audience make us. Well... Uh, we have a really great show lined up for you today. We have, have a guest that I've been looking forward to. Gene Erkin uh, serves as Managing Director of Commerce Street Capital, and he's here to talk about mergers and acquisitions uh, and everything else concerned with it. Gene, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it's a real pleasure because I know what a great uh, job you do. Uh, first, uh, as we ask all our guests, Gene, tell us a little bit about yourself personally and how you got here and, and what you're doing. Yeah, so um, as you know, I'm a investment banker, so we, we do advisory services, which is you know, representing companies from you know, buy-side transactions uh, i.e. they're looking to acquire somebody sell side, they're looking to sell uh, either all or a portion of themselves or financing. So it could be a capital raise or a minority buyout or dividend recap or some of these other financing tools that are you know available to business owners out there. Um, on the personal side, I'm married, I have three kids, um, and I'm a, I'm a big exercise guy. I used to play sports in college, but I've transitioned into running and I run these um, ultra marathons which are uh, generally speaking kind of 50 100 mile trail races and so it keeps me in shape and allows me to eat whatever I want which is always nice well that is well um, Commerce Street uh, Capital and you advise small companies so I'm going to start by asking a broad question how do how does a company prepare itself to be acquired? That was one of the questions that was sent across to me when you were announced as a guest. 
Yeah, you know, Don, it's a it's a good question. Um, it's a it's a simple question to a complex answer, and I'll kind of lay out you know sort of the different things to think about, or an owner or ownership should think about when they're looking to uh, to sell their company. And one of the things that I can tell you is is that preparation is everything. And the reason I say that is because um, you know when when you bring in buyers to to look at your firm. If your financials are not ready, if you don't have a, a well-put-together financial model which looks at the for firm historically, has you know all of the line items that would come from the, the general ledger, um, if it's a manufacturing company, understanding what each SKU costs, you know, these things, um, you know, in addition to that, you know, having all your corporate documents in place. Um, you know, having a, a presentation that talks about your firm historically, uh, you know, what it's doing today and what it's planning to do fo going forward. If those kinds of things are not done right and well, what will happen is, is that someone who's looking to buy the business will discount the company because they'll think, well, they're just not prepared or they're unsophisticated or whatnot. So, so it's really about just the preparation. Um, and I'll go into kind of more specifics, but one of the things that I think is always sort of the first thing that companies want to think about is just valuation. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me, valuation, you know, can vary within industries. So, you know, I sold a chemical manufacturing company um, not too long ago, and, you know, within the chemical manufacturing sector, there are, uh, there are businesses that will sell, you know, from seven times EBITDA. Some will sell to 15 times EBITDA, and it just kind of depends on on which area they lie. And then there's other factors that kind of go into place when you look at what a company's worth, profitability, you know, um, you know whether they've been growing historically and what they look to do going forward, um, you know, how much debt they have, um, how well they're run, you know, those kinds of things really factor into evaluation, but it's really nice to kind of think about that ahead of time so expectations are properly set before, you know, going out into the marketplace, um, you know, to to find a buyer. And I, I, I use the analogy a lot of just selling a home. It, it's, it, it's not too different from that, right? I mean, you, you sit down with your real estate agent and you go, okay, well, what's my home worth? What are the comps in my neighborhood? And then you set a price. Um, you can set an unrealistic price, but... Uh, for better or worse, the, the, the market, i.e., the potential buyers for your business are really going to set the price. But if you're realistic about it, I think, and, and you're prepared, um, you can eke out, you know, millions and millions of dollars by just being prepared and being realistic about valuation, you know, going into, into a sale. And, you know, one of the things that we do is, and I try to do in, in all of my processes, is really rely on the data. So if someone's telling you that your, your company is worth X, I think it's very helpful to see the data behind it. And that's one of the things that we really try to do is, is sit down with business owners and say, look, here's what the data bears. You know, based on all the, the statistical information we can find, your company is worth X. Now, part of that discussion may be, you know, look, we think we can get more than that because of this reason or that reason. <coughs> but... You know, we really try to rely on data. One of the things that we're seeing, though, is for companies that are really well run, as it relates to valuation, is 
as you know, there's a lot of dry powder out there, which means you know capital that either f that funds or potential buyers strategics are looking to deploy, and they want good solid companies. And so as a result, there's it, it's very very difficult to find a really solid company to buy. So when one comes onto the market, generally speaking, people are willing to pay up for that. I.e., it's a higher valuation than maybe we otherwise thought because it's a really good company, it's got good management, it's been well run, you know, that they've got everything um, put together, as I mentioned earlier, from their financials to their financial model and so on, that it, it can significantly raise the valuation, and we're seeing that quite a bit today. Um, well, sort of kind of going... I'm going uh, to interrupt you yeah, one please. minute to... You mentioned something that's a bugaboo uh, to small business. What does EBITDA represent, and how do you um, get to it? Yeah, so it's um, the 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 acronym is earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Um, so basically, you the long and short of it is is you've got um, depending on the kind of business you have. Some some firms don't have uh, cost of goods sold. But assuming you do, you know, you've got revenue, you subtract out cost of goods sold, and you got gross profit. And then from gross profit, you've basically got all your operating expenses, so SG&A and, and these various other operating expenses that you have. And then you come to EBIT, so it's earnings before interest and tax. And then typically from that number, you then add in depreciation and amortization, and you get an EBITDA figure. And then below that, then you take out taxes and, and various things, and you come come to net income. But that's really kind of how the P and L looks, and that's what EBITDA represents. Well, thank you. It's it's funny, but uh, when I talk to small business groups, and I mention that, they they look at me with a blank stare. So uh, <laughs> uh, let, let me go in and ask you. Um, uh, we're talking about companies. Do you d generally deal with uh, companies above three million, above five million? Uh, what is uh, the uh, the range you deal in, and uh, what is it that the, the dry powder is looking for? You know, um, it's a good question. Um, so it, it, the answer in these kind of situations always depends, right? So I'll answer I'll answer your first question. What do we look for? I mean, for us, it's we just look for good companies, and good companies sell. So for us, it's maybe less so how big they are and more so whether we think a deal can be done, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, we have, like every other investment bank and every other firm and person out there, you have limited time uh, and limited resources. And so, you know, the last thing we want to do is bring in a company, take them to market, try to sell them, and it doesn't happen for one reason or another. So we, we try to properly vet out, you know, those companies. I mean, but when you think about it, what makes it a good company? Well, it's in a, it's a, good, it's a good industry. It's run well. It's profitable. Um, you know, those kinds of things. So whether it does 2 million of EBITDA or 40 million of EBITDA, um, you know, it, it, it obviously matters as far as size goes and, and what kind of buyers you're reaching out to. But, you know, sometimes $2 million EBITDA companies can be sold easier than a much larger company. So, so for us, it's just we're looking for good companies. Um, as far as what the market's looking for, it's a you know, I would say that in the private equity space, you know, it, 
it, it really comes down to Don who you want to who you're going to reach out to. So I'll give you an example. So if it's to, to, to kind of follow on on the, the companies I was mentioning a few minutes ago, you got a company that does two million of EBITDA, so much smaller, and you have a company that does forty million of EBITDA, much bigger. You know, depending on who you represent will depend on who you reach out to as a potential buyer. So what I mean by that is is that there are strategics um, and there are uh, private equity firms that specialize in writing small checks. So as a result, in, in the $2 million EBITDA company example, we would reach out to the, peri- the people that have that criteria. We write smaller checks and as a result are looking for companies of that size. But then there are companies that have billions and billions of dollars under management, and they have to write much larger checks to move the needle. So as a result, if we're representing a much bigger company, then we will you know, reach out to private equity firms that look for uh, bigger companies and want to write bigger checks. So I think a lot of times, though, business owners don't, don't appreciate or maybe even know that you know, there are different criteria for different funds. So you know, as a result, you know, you can find the, the appropriate buyer and that's where you kind of need a professional to, to know, you know, it, it's our job to know that space and it's our job to know what people are looking for. And we know the guys who are looking for small companies, medium-sized companies, and large companies. Well, let's go over to management. What do you look for in ma- managers? Let's say it's someone who's uh, had a business, uh, he's reaching close to retirement age or she is, children don't want it. What do you look for? Do you look for a manager that's willing to stay or one that wants to leave? Or how do you uh, deal with such issues? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, um, and it, it, it then depends on the kind of business. So, you know, it, typically speaking, uh, when you have very relationship-heavy businesses where – I'll give you an example. So I've done a decent amount of work in the title insurance space. Now, these are just agencies, and these title insurance companies are – some of them are very big and very profitable – but what you'll find is, is that, generally speaking, the CEOs of those companies or the senior leadership, the top one or two people, um, own and represent you know, 85% of the revenue. So if a buyer comes in and they want to buy the company and they're going to buy it for $100 million, they're going to say, well, look, I'm going to give you $100 million bucks here, but I don't want these two guys walking away. So as a result, they will want those two people to kind of roll over some equity. And what I mean by that is is retain some ownership of the business. So instead of selling 100% of the company, they'll only buy 70% and require the, you know, the, the either the CEO or the, the top two people, in my example, to, 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 to maintain some ownership so they have some skin in the game. Um, but then there are companies, some manufacturing companies that I've represented where you know, they ma- they manufacture a product. They have customers. They have customer contracts. And so, you know, as a result, the CEO is not as important from a relationship standpoint than in my previous example. So in that situation, I think they would be okay buying 100% of the company. Now, in most circumstances, they'd probably want the CEO to stay over for a year or so, you know, just to make sure that everything's transitioned the right way and, you know, the, the, the new buyer knows where this is located and that located and, you know, nuances with different customers and, and, and processes and things. But for the most part, someone would be willing to come in and buy 100% of a company like that. Um, 
And then for us, you know, we look at a lot of different things, you know, not only from an, a management standpoint, but from a valuation standpoint, because there are companies out there where you, in your example, you've got, you know, an, an owner who's 85, he's got two daughters, and they don't want to take over the business. And, you know, the company is, is, is a great company, but, you know, the, the CEO probably doesn't have the fire he may had, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So as a result, the, the company's just kind of, you know, moving along. So, you know, there's a value proposition there, right, for someone to come in, you know, aggressively grow the business and maybe double it and triple it in size. So when you look at that, th that affects evaluation, right, because there's a lot of opportunity there. But then there's some companies that are just really, really well run, and, you know, there's a premium, you know, to that company because it's just so well run, you know, they're the leader in the space, uh, they're very aggressive about growing the business, and, and so on and so on. Does that, does, does that answer your question? Wow. Oh, completely. It's, it's a fascinating uh, for me. You're fascinating. But let me ask you another question. Um, again, uh, someone just emailed me across. What do you, uh, how do you deal with employees? Employees don't like change. And a company is sold. Uh, we have a case of, of Us Weekly here in, in the publishing industry where someone came in and fired half the staff when they bought the company and leading to problems. How do you, do, uh, do you help the comp uh, managers deal with something like that or do you leave that for the manager? We, no, we, we do. And, you know, there's a couple of ways to think about it. Um, and it's, a, it's actually a very interesting question. Um, we've dealt with it quite a bit. And so this is what I would say, right? I mean, part of it is, so you can imagine you're taking a company to, you're, you're selling a company and you take it to market and you've got, you know, 10 interested buyers. Well, one of the things that you're going to do before you sell your company is you're going to meet with these people, right? I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to take your company to market, which means I'm going to present your company to a, a bunch of potential buyers. They're going to contact me, ask a bunch of questions. And then at some point they're going to want to meet management. And that conversation is like, do we get along? Can I work with you? But also just, you know, where have you been? What are the opportunities here? You know, how involved do you want to be? That kind of thing. And so during those discussions, right, part of the, the question the CEO, I will make sure the CEO asks is like, hey, look, you know, I've run this company for 60 years and these employees are family to me. And I want to make sure that they're going to be taken care of. And so those conversations should be had. And there are some private equity firms that will say, look, I, you know, we're a great partner. We want to keep everyone. And, you know, we sort of, you know, promise that we're going to keep everyone and kind of, we don't want to change anything. But then there are some firms that perhaps can't promise that. But that's what those discussions are all about, right, is making sure that you want to take your baby and give it to and put it in the hands of someone who's going to, you know, to, to, to take care of it, feed it and everything else like like you would. Um, so that's part of it. The second part is, is that, you know, for the, the leadership, you know, there are ways to get, you know, contracts. Right. So, you know, when, when you're a business owner, one of the things I think a lot of times business owners forget is that they hold the new codes. Right. So I can try to sell their business. I can bring them a bunch of buyers. I can get them a great valuation. But at the end of the day, they have to do it. I can't force them to. Right. So they can always just walk away. 
Um, now, I, I don't recommend sort of going through a process like that because it's just so arduous just to find out what you're worth. Um, so I, I would recommend going in, you know, with the intention to sell. But at the same time, if you don't get the assurances that you want, or you know, you can say to a, a potential buyer, look. If I'm going to sell my company, these employees, these 10 employees need contracts or something like that. And obviously it has to be within reason because people still have to perform and they have to have the ability to, you know, make people perform and, and so on. But at the same time, you know, you can within reason, you know, demand those sorts of things, you know, d depending on who those individuals are to ensure that, you know, certain people keep their jobs and, and they're not lost, you know, right away. Yeah, and uh, the and on I, the other aspect to it is just, the other aspect to it is just communication, right? I mean, just ensuring that the CEO and the senior leadership are communicating with everybody. And as you know, in life, right, communication is is everything. And so, yeah. as long as you're communicating with people and, and not surprising them, then you know, generally speaking, it it, it ends up working much better. Yeah, you're you're absolutely. Uh, right about that and there's numerous examples well, let me let me go uh, sideways on a different question uh, uh, some statistics were sent to me that said uh, there are more businesses for sale to, uh, uh, in the last two years uh, than at any time in the last 20 years mainly because entre entrepreneurs that founded them are retiring and found that uh, their sons and daughters don't want to be involved. They don't like the 24-7 commitment. Have you run into that, or do, would you care to comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I see capitulation amongst business owners. Um, I mean, look, it, it's a great time right now because, you know, the, the Dow is at like 21,000, and, you know, valuations are just very, very high. But what I would say, though, is, is that that statistic may be true, but there's just not a lot of good companies that are in the marketplace. And I think a lot of times processes are not run the right way. I mean, when you think about it, right, you know, if you're a CEO in, in some industry, you could probably pick up the phone very easily and call 20 of your buddies in the same industry and say, hey, I'm looking to sell. And, you know, you could probably get a couple of buyers who would say, hey, you know, hey, Bill or Sam or whatever your name is, you know, I'll, I'll buy your company and this is what I'd pay for it. But what we always recommend is running a process, right? It's if you want to sell a house, the reason you hire an agent is because they're going to bring in 200 people to see your house. They're going to get 15 bids on your house and they're going to get the best price through, you know, negotiation and, you know, you know, people bidding against one another to, to get that house. Well, it's the same thing for your business, right? I mean, you may know five or 10 people who'd be willing to buy your company, but there may be another dozen people out there who are willing to pay twice as much. But you don't know that unless you, you go out and reach out to those folks. We're talking with Gene Erkin. He's uh, managing director of Commerce uh, Street Capital. Uh, Gene, what's your website for people and how do they get in touch with you? Yes. So our website is um, www.commercestreetcapital.com. Commerce as in the Department of Commerce, Street as in a boulevard, S-T-R-E-E-T, -E -E and capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L. So again, www.commercestreetcapital.com. 
It's Gene Erkin, spelled U-R-C-A-N. He's certainly helping us. Uh, we're getting towards the end of, the, of this uh, our time together. Uh, Gene, I have um, another question. Do, do you run in a case where the company is good and the management is bad and you work with them to straighten it out? And if so, how? Yeah, gosh, you know, that's that's probably the, the worst of all situations. That's a tough one because sometimes management doesn't know they're bad. Um, and a lot of a lot, a lot of times a, a management team doesn't want, they don't want your advice. And a lot of times that's what makes them bad, right, is they know everything and they don't want your opinion or your advice. And so as a result, it, it's very difficult. And actually, it's very frustrating. I mean, I, I have a, a, a client who, you know, we sold their business to a big um, industry leader, a big behemoth. And... You know, they were going out and trying to make acquisitions after the after they got acquired because part of the compensation for the CEO is based on that and so on. But they've got two people running around trying to make these acquisitions who think they know what they're doing, and it's been two years and they haven't made one. And so the conversation I had with this CEO um, after the acquisition is I said, this is the way you need to do it. And I just very candidly said, if you if you go this route, you're not going to make an acquisition. It's just not going to happen. And he didn't want my opinion, didn't agree, this and that. And, you know, two and a half years have gone by and they haven't made one. So, but sometimes you just can't get in people's heads. So the only thing you can really do is just always be honest with them. And, you know, there's times where I have great news for, for clients and there's times where I've got not so good news. But one of the things that we try to do is, you know, sometimes CEOs, people surrounding them that aren't willing to give them the the bad news or the information that they really need to hear and we try to do that so for us we're not always just helping buy or helping sell a company but just giving strategic advice you know we've I've sat on the board of you know many 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 companies I've um, advised many companies and so as a result I've just seen what makes a good company tick and a bad company bad and so many times we just kind of give that advice and say, you know, this is how I would do it differently or this is what I would do or, you know, th those kinds of things that, you know, help a company grow or if they're stuck at a certain size or, you know, strategically they want to be bigger or they're looking to do various things, a lot of times they just don't know what's available to them. Well, Gene, I've got a, a real left field question for you. Uh, do you help uh, someone? You help someone sell his or her company. Do you then help them invest or uh, try to steer them how to invest the proceeds, or do you stay away from that? Yeah, we, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if investing is the right word, but it's more planning. You know, so yes. you know, obviously, you know, so from a tax perspective, you know, making sure that their money, making sure that they don't lose the money they just got. Right. Yes. And so that's so definitely help them with that. The other thing that we try to help with too is is many times CEOs have been very successful in their industry. Then they sell the business for a lot of money, but they think they've got the Midas touch and can do anything and be successful at it. And so you know we do talk to them about those kinds of things and and give you know horror stories about you know we've seen this happen before and it was very bad and they lost all the money that, you know, they had just received from, you know, 60 years of business or 40 years of business or whatever it is. So 
you know, we do all those kinds of things and just try to make sure that this liquidity event that happens for a CEO or a family, you know, main, stays in that family and, and grows. Well, uh, we'd like you to come back and talk about a little bit more about that because that's something uh, uh, I have three messages across my desk on that one point. <laughs> uh, so, Gene, you <laughs> have to, to you, you have to come back and talk again with us. Uh, we've been talking with Good Gene Erkin. Am I pronouncing it right, Erkin? Yep, U R C A N. That's right. Uh, thank you. You're Managing Director of Commerce Street Capital. Thank you for, so much for being yep. with us. We wish you could uh, stay longer, but we'll definitely have you back. Thank you. I'd love to, Don. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with other guests invited to help you, our audience, improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like the show, tell others about it. Want to make a comment or be a guest? Email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Your host was Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Until next time, keep faith with the ideals that made America great, and remember, small business is still the backbone of commerce. <laughs>